So toxic positivity is basically this, um, this good vibes only thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, what we hear a lot, I guess there's, there's sort of like a positivity culture now, especially with social media being what it is with influencers being what they are with people's personas being a little bit fake a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so what we see a lot is that you'll be encouraged to choose happiness or to choose positivity as if it is a choice. Yeah. And not only as if it is a choice, but as if the negative doesn't exist. Mm. Now, I am so fucking guilty of that. (laughs) 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 And I never intend to be, but I have such a low tolerance for like cynicism and stuff like that. And I guess I don't, I don't ever try to get people to not feel what they're feeling. If what they're feeling is darkness, if they're in that dark place, I'm very sympathetic to that, but there are times when it's appropriate to try to pull them out of it. And there are times when it's inappropriate and when they need to just kind of sit with that feeling for as long as they need to. But I have a very low tolerance for things like cynicism and pessimism. Yeah. And I guess those aren't so much feelings. Yeah. as they are uh, modes of thinking. Yeah, I think it's important, too, to, to look at, like, I, to me, one of the most crucial components of toxic positivity being toxic is the fact that it's completely baseless, whether that's contextually or just constitutionally. It isn't actually based on any solid reasoning or any clear objective. And to me, pessimism and cynicism are the same way. Like they're not the same as feeling sad or feeling like shit or being broken in some way. Like those are valid things, but like this has always been my disagreement with people who consider themselves to be nihilists. You know, it's like there is nothing that's actually backing up that belief. You can't possibly know that everything is shit forever. The same way you can't possibly say that everything is amazing and pull yourself out of it. So they're both almost the same issue. Mm. They're just different outfits. So yeah, personally, I find them both to be worthy of the same kind of like scrutiny and the same discussion. That's a really good point. Although I wouldn't say that nihilists claim everything to be shit. I think nihilists claim nothing to be worthy of reverence, basically. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I don't think actual nihilists are as much of an issue as people who would call themselves nihilists day to day. It's the everyone I know who's been like, I'm a nihilist. It's like, you know, you're a fucking asshole. That's what you are. Like, Yes. Okay. Important, important distinction <laughs> there too. <laughs> Having said all that though, like I have had, this is what, like I do sometimes feel guilty. I do sometimes feel like I'm that positive vibes only person. I don't enforce that. You know, I tend to meet the suffering of others with optimism. Yeah. And, and with you know, the sooner we can get to laughter here, the better. Yeah. But I'm not going to tell you to not feel depressed or anxious right now. I'm not going to tell you to not suffer because suffering is incredibly important to the human psyche and to the human spirit. But I do feel guilty sometimes when I have that approach because I've been approached like that before in times when I was suffering more and in times when I was less ready to hear it. Yeah. So I absolutely... No, I absolutely have known the people who 
would claim that happiness is a choice and would claim that, you know, if you are suffering, then you are not making the right choice. Yeah. There's, I think there's another distinction in there as well. That it's, I find this to be one of the more offensive aspects of toxic positivity, at least personally, that the fact that positivity is kind of a, a feeling or, you know, happiness and stuff like that. It's, it's a feeling, it's a state of being, it's a mindset or whatever, but you can still feel like absolute shit and be okay with that, but keep kind of like, keep moving or keep looking for options or keep, you know, just try to fight your way out of that corner. And that's not always the move, but I feel the same way sometimes. Like I feel very guilty, especially in recent years of approaching the plight of like my friends or my family with that type of attitude. And I always wonder if I'm like teetering over that edge, but I just find that like, that's my approach to stuff is like, whenever I'm in a corner, like I'll be suffering and I'll be, it'll suck and I'll hate it. And I'll try to be as okay with that as I can be. But I also don't feel comfortable just sitting there and thinking over and over and over again, how much it sucks. It's like, I want to be moving a little bit or I want to be plotting or, you know, something like that. And so I always try to get people to that point when I'm talking to them about stuff like this, like not necessarily look on the bright side because like, who gives a shit if they're the bright side, but like yeah. more about, all right, well, what do you have? It's like if you're, car fucking breaks down in the middle of a storm and you're stuck on the side of the road like you don't have to say well but this is a beautiful thing in a way it's like no this sucks ass i'm getting drenched but you can look at it like all right what do i have my phone's dead i don't have that but i got this wrench i got some tape what the hell can i do with a wrench and tape and i try whenever i'm in that spot to get into that type of thinking as quickly as i can because then i can do both then i can validate those feelings to whatever extent i need to and kind of live in those but i'm also getting the fuck off the side of the road but it's really hard to know that, I find, when you're talking to somebody else, you know, because you don't know how much they really need to wallow versus how much you as a friend might need to check them. Yeah, that's a really good point, too. Like, there is definitely a, almost like a gestation period Yeah, exactly. for that kind of suffering. Like, it needs to reach completion. Like, it needs to reach its destination, almost, in order for you to be able to feel like you actually worked through it or feel like you felt it to its fullest point and is now a part of you that has made you stronger. Yeah. And often it doesn't make you stronger, but <laughs> yeah, this is me doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> Our listeners need to keep a tally of how many times I do this. <laughs> but no, I, I would say that like, yeah, I tend to be a look on the bright side kind of person. Mm. And I would say that I'm not always good at doing it for myself. Mm. I can be. It sometimes takes a minute. Yeah. But it's so much easier. And this is me. I'm just going to reach out and be empathetic right now to the people who <laughs> do engage in toxic positivity. Because <laughs> um, if this needs to reach anybody, it needs to reach them. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw out some empathy and say, isn't it so much easier to see the bright side for other people's problems than for your own? Yeah. And isn't it so much easier to habituate to encouraging people to maybe not choose happiness, but to see an element of their given situation as a positive thing or as a not insurmountable thing? Yeah. So isn't it so easy to fall into this habit, to fall into this behavior. Yeah. I would say it probably is, especially if that positive thinking is the product of some epiphany or some like, yeah, 
enlightened thought that you've had at some point that allows you to approach your own life with more positivity than you used to if you used to suffer more i'm naming a lot of my own elements but anyway all this is to say i struggle with this a lot (laughs) (laughs) if it's any consolation i've never felt that in any interaction with you like i've never felt i don't know like put on a spot too much for for feeling depressed or feeling negative like it's never yeah, you've never seemed toxic in that way. You've definitely seemed like a person who's not looking for the shitty side of things. But to me, that's Thank not you. toxic. Yeah. Thank you. But also, Kate has straight up asked me not to respond optimistically <laughs> to her suffering. <laughs> <laughs> but that too, I mean, that might not necessarily mean that you're toxically positive. That might just be the way no. that she prefers to feel seen in those moments, you know? Like... It's interesting that specifically I'm referring to an instance where she had sort of a learned helplessness response to something like over and over again. Yeah. Something went a certain way Mm. and she knew how it was going to go this time around as well. And she was sad about it and asked me, please don't try to bring the bright side into this. Like I, I just need you to acknowledge that this has been my lived experience so far and I don't expect this to go any differently. And I just, I need this to be my moment and not the moment when you try to be encouraging, even though I know that you are encouraging. Like, yeah, I I don't know if everybody that knows me would agree that, uh, that's the side of me that comes out most often. Yeah. Yeah. But certainly it's a side that does come out often. Okay. Yeah. It's it's a hard one too. Cause I mean, like you said, it comes down to like the types of conversations that people want to have, you know, it's like to try to get to levity as quickly as possible. It's it's a completely fair thing in a social setting, but it's almost it's difficult to to read the room in those ways and go case by case and especially with, with loved ones or people that you're really close to sometimes. Cause you just kind of assume you're on yeah. that, that level. But wallowing is a natural and, and valid thing absolutely and some of my fondest memories are you know being younger and more depressed and hanging out with depressed friends and wallowing together yeah there's nothing like it there's nothing like like the dark humor that comes out of those little hangouts yeah i miss yeah i miss the emo days like the truly emo days those are the best dude (laughs) god (laughs) yeah it felt like suffering meant something so that was great. I needed that. Still too. I feel like what people are trying to get to when they talk about toxic positivity in a lot of, at least a lot of very public settings, not necessarily interpersonally, but just when you, when you read about these things in blogs or social media or whatever, I feel like it should be less of a like think positive or be positive, choose positive, and more of a remember resilience. It should be like about remembering that there is something that's going to be able to bounce back somehow. Like you might be a shell of what you were. You might be in immense pain, but somewhere in there, something will kick back on. Yeah. And also to remember that there is an emotional spectrum. And just because somebody is leaning to one end of it doesn't mean they're not choosing the other end. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, if someone's wallowing or if somebody's just having a bad time it doesn't mean that they're choosing the extreme end of of the spectrum in that way yeah you know they'll eventually kind of 
do the little pendulum swing back to positive, you hope. Yeah. But the mistake is in thinking that it's a choice, first of all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also in, in labeling or in assuming that only the two extreme ends of the positive negative spectrum exist within human emotion. Yeah. I think it's the dismissiveness that makes it toxic. Like if I had to boil it down to one thing right now, it's it's not about the positivity, it's not about the even the miscalculating what somebody needs. It's about the dismissal of their entire state of being or their entire situation or whatever it is that's genuinely troubling them. It's the fact that you're saying, "No, no, fuck you. You're wrong. Do this." Like, that's just going to be wrong no matter what situation you're in because you haven't even listened. Well, then I think there is a discernment to be made between the two types. I'm, I'm thinking of two types right now. There might be more that other people would think of, but mm -hmm. I'm thinking of there is the dismissive mm -hmm. and then there is the encouraging. Yeah. And so, like, to encourage somebody to get over a depression is not necessarily to dismiss that there is a depression, yeah, yeah. And actually in my notes here, I have uh, highlighted failure to effectively process emotions in a timely manner can lead to a myriad of psychological difficulties, including disrupted sleep, increased substance abuse, risk of an acute stress response, prolonged grief, or even PTSD. So, I mean, one of those in particular is sticking out to me right now. And like, if, if your form of encouragement is fuck it, bro, let's get drunk. Like, yeah. you know, that can lead to substance abuse that can lead to, well, we can dismiss these problems. We can overcome them mm. by other means. And when those other means take over the proper means of experiencing and processing your feelings, yeah, that's suppression and it's always bad. But even that there's layers to it where at least in the context of my life, I've had experiences where there've been people where I've had that response or they've had that response to me, but it's been reached for the drink right away. And I kind of noticed after I stopped drinking that some of those situations, people were pretty much just, it was a knee-jerk thing. It was like, you see any blip on the radar. I mean, it's that like classic alcoholics trope, you know, of like, if you're depressed, you drink. If you're happy, let's celebrate. We're going to need a drink, like that whole thing. That would be the case a lot of times. But then I had other friends who I realized like, it was just the act of the solidarity of like the, I come home. I remember one vividly in particular, like I came home after my car had shit the bed on the side of the road. Like I guess that analogy from before was an actual <laughs> thing. I tied it back together with an actual shoelace. Like I tied the tailpipe back on all this crap, drove home in this freaking sure storm. Did. Like it was a horror show. And I just <laughs> called him. He was um, staying with me at the time. And, and I called him and I said like, dude, listen, I'm coming in hot. I've had the worst night of my freaking year. Just have some strong whiskey going when I get back. And, and he did. And I just walked into my house and it was just like the, we didn't say anything. He just handed me that drink and we just sat there in silence and listened to sad folk songs and went to bed at a reasonable hour. And it was like, it was just that like knowing someone was there. But at the time it was so wrapped up in that we're just drowning our sorrows feeling. But when I realized later on was that it was the fact that I had someone to drown my sorrows with. I had somebody who was stride for stride going through those sorrows with me. 
and who I knew was going to be there and was going to be there when we got up the next day and we're going to take on the new day together. So I realized that wasn't inherently toxic. We were both just very kind of shattered people at the time. And that's what we were doing yeah. on a certain level. But yeah, I found that there were layers to that where like the, the heart of the interaction matters the same way the actual act does. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to be said with that in something like positivity as well, where there are people I've I had this with people too, where like you get someone who's very depressed and you want to go talk to them for a little while. And sometimes it reaches a point where just action is necessary just in order to stir the pot a little bit. And I've kind of said like, listen, we're going to, we're going to go for a walk. Like we can keep talking about this on the walk. Like you can keep being depressed like you are right now on this walk, but we're going to go on a freaking walk. And that's different to me personally than it would be if I was like, come on, dude, no, this is nothing. We're just, come on, go get exercise or go like, go to a party. I don't know. Like that solidarity feels like more of a substantial thing to me than the actual act. But it's, it's really hard to discern that sometimes, especially in a, like a social media context where you're not necessarily getting this advice on top of an existing relationship. You're just yeah. being told this is what you should be doing. You don't have that foundation of love or trust or respect or whatever to kind of make you feel comfortable going that way. Yeah. And I guess then the question is, you know, and I think I've had a lot of friends like this, friends who have never had to show that kind of solidarity. Mm. And so like, there have certainly been moments where I've been in a dark place and the only people around are people who don't necessarily have that experience with that end of the emotional spectrum. Mm. And so how then do they show solidarity? Well, they can't, but yeah. again, usually those are the types of people who will try to bring you back up with humor. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that because they're not denying, in that case, they're acknowledging that something's off with you. Yeah. You know, and they're just like, well, I know a good trick for that. <sighs> yeah. And that's not bad. Yeah, I agree with you that like solidarity is the best way through that if you're someone who's capable of offering it. Yeah. If you're not somebody who has the same felt experience as the person whom you're trying to encourage or whom you're trying to bring some levity to, then I guess the thing to acknowledge is that is just that remember that their feelings are real. Yeah, exactly. And remember that there are some ways to bring about that levity that are going to be more harmful than others. Yeah, like knowing in that moment that it's not about you. Like it's just accept that there is something going on that you may not be completely privy to. So yeah. just giving somebody that space or giving them that, like if you want to laugh, laugh with them, but don't keep laughing if they're not laughing. Like that kind of stuff. Mm. Just kind of, yeah, like validating the fact that there's another person involved. Now, I guess we should probably bring up how this has affected relationships during the pandemic. Yeah. I was reading, actually, that it's been getting a lot more attention. This topic yeah. has been getting a ton more attention during the pandemic. It is very Googleable right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, selfishly, I am, I am thrilled that this is finally <laughs> in the crosshairs. I am so, I've been so on this for so long, just in my personal life, and it has always fallen on deaf ears, except to the people who are in the exact same position I'm in. 
And now there's studies. Now I can point to studies. Well, you Google it now, and what you'll see an abundance of is the phrase, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. I, I really wish that that had been as popular, I don't know, 10 years ago <laughs> as it is today. Yeah. During a pandemic where people need to be constantly reminded of it. But don't we always need to be constantly reminded of it? Yeah. But yeah, so during the pandemic... I'm going to go ahead and help out the people who are keeping the tally. I (laughs) have constantly been pointing out that like, this is the best thing that could have happened to us as a society because we're all too caught up in our workaday bullshit. And now we get some time alone. We get some time where we're, uh, you know, alone with our feelings, alone with the decisions that we've made. And we get to take an audit of what has helped us and what has hurt us and what we wish was a little bit different. And so once the world comes back online, we can take that audit and we can apply it to our post-pandemic life and livelihood. Mm. And I'm not wrong, but according to these articles, there's been a little too much of that. (laughs) There's been a little too much of the people boasting about, you know, use Mm. this time to be productive and use this time to... This is a good opportunity. And for a lot of people, this has not been a good opportunity. For a lot of people, they've been cut off from their friends and loved ones. For a lot of people, they've been cut off from their livelihood, from their from their income. And that has certainly led to some dark feelings. And and I've, you know, throughout this pandemic, I've felt all of it, I'd say equally. Mm. But I've always had this in the back of my mind that, you know, if I can manage my suffering enough so that I can improve other areas of my life and set some expectations for later that I can hopefully live up to, then I'm going to try to use that as sort of my new touchstone for other forms of suffering and other forms of other areas where I can prevent suffering. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't been everybody's experience. And I need to remember that more often. It's hard to like, I yeah, I feel incredibly guilty about that as well. I've, I've been pretty firmly in that camp since the beginning of this whole thing. Like, and it's, it's been my coping strategy, but I feel that sometimes too, that like, this is not universal. Like, don't go shoving this on people. But one thing I noticed was that, and I kind of wondered, like, I have a suspicion that this is maybe why certain forms of toxic positivity exist, at least publicly. I noticed that I needed it every so often for just the accountability and to sort of just say it out loud sometimes. Like I needed Sorry, to Sorry, you needed say, what for the, the accountability? Like I needed to just vocalize some of that sort of ambition or that like, here's what I'm doing with my time. And, and to then be true to your word. Yeah, because I was like, well, yeah, I just said that okay. I'm doing that, so I better do that tomorrow. It made it feel a little bit less like an echo chamber. Mm. And it's, that was part of it. But I, I have consistently tried to check that as well because I've noticed that it can be very obnoxious. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And useless. And I was like, yeah, this is, it's working for me. That's fucking great. But like, this isn't everybody's thing. But it's a really hard line to to strike, especially now, because there's like, you, you also want to feel any sense of togetherness that you can in, on some level. I, I think that's a common thing from people I've talked to, at least, that, you know, you want to just share some stuff again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's hard. It's I've seen it go the other way, too, with the, with pandemia, you know, that like, some people have in my opinion, been way too far on the other side of that, where they get hit with one blow and they're just kind of like, well, I'm down. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it's again, it's like, I don't want to criticize their 
lived experience because I don't know what preceded that. But they sort of arrive at the same place ultimately, both mm. both positions. And I think they're both a lack of introspection. You know, one is repressing, one is living in, but they both mean that you've ceased to look inward at what's actually going on. Yeah. That lack of introspection, that lack of like self-awareness, I think is what I would call it in some cases. Yeah. And like self-possession. Yeah. Like we should retain the agency that we need to respond to the needs that our minds and bodies have during this pandemic. Yeah. And I feel like what we're saying is that like a lot of people have felt as though they've been robbed of that agency because they've been robbed of so many of the connections and so many of the resources that they had pre-pandemic. Yeah. Which is totally valid. And yeah. Not insurmountable, but certainly feels that way. But also, yeah, there's something to say for self-awareness and there's something to say for agency and, and introspection. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like a, a really important tenet of all of this is that it's not that there is one course of action or even a series of courses of action that are correct objectively. It's that, you know, at a certain point, just take a second and kind of think about who you are and what you're doing and try to feel out where that agency is at that moment. To me, the important thing is just to look at it and to think you're still a person, like you still wake up and exist. So, you know, what are you going to do with that? And anything is fine. But it's, that's the thing that I, I, I find is, uh, it gets glossed over in a lot of these types of discussions and it's jumped right to like the, this is what you should do. And I, I think that's extremely claustrophobic. Yeah, because look back to the conversations that we were having at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm. A lot of it was, isn't it interesting that dot, dot, dot. Yeah. It was never, this is what I'm doing, this is what you should be doing too. Yeah. It was never, I feel like I'm handling this the right way because I have a positive outlook. That's how you should be going about it too. That being said, I do think that introspection was the right thing to do. Yeah. Because it was, at least for me, and I would wager for most people in this situation, mm. was the immediate necessity. Yeah. You know, like what is the necessary amount of introspection to know what really breaches our comfort level mm. or what really breaches our safety to the point that we're totally not okay with it? Yeah. And now can we meet somewhere in the middle? Like what sacrifices or what exceptions can we make in order for us to still lead a fulfilling life that is still mostly safe? Yeah. And if you're not auditing that and taking notice of what comforts you have to sacrifice versus what comforts you must retain in order yeah. to stay, stay sane, you know, that is like the first necessary step of introspection in the, in the pandemic, I think. I mean, we're so far past that. And I think we are now to the point where the toxic positivity is showing a little bit more. It was easier to be optimistic at first. Yeah. And now, you know, we have people who have, you know, actually benefited from this in, in the case of collecting unemployment that they wouldn't have otherwise collected. Yeah. Or, you know, there are lots of ways that people have benefited from the pandemic, but like, there are, I would have to assume, lots of people for whom this has not been a suffering endeavor, yeah. necessarily. Or who might just have really sick coping skills. 
Or savings, you know, like even just stuff like that. (laughs) Just people who are like, eh, fuck it, 10 months off, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this sort of phenomenon is to be expected, I think. Well, it's interesting too, though, because in that case, it's the blind side is gone now. So we watched people go from a completely novel experience to now we have experts. You know, like we went from everybody... In a way, all those stupid goddamn commercials of like, we're all in this together. In a way, we were for like a month or two or three. (laughs) Yeah. It's just that that was the time when everyone was like, oh my God, like that's the togetherness. The togetherness was complete mass global panic manifesting in a ton of different ways. But now we've hit this like cruising altitude where the people who are falling apart are falling apart or have fallen apart. And the people who are excelling are excelling and everything up and down through the middle of that. And we've hit that point where now you can find people to point to and say they're successful at this. Why are they successful? And they can be asked and then they give interviews or they make blogs or they do whatever. And it's interesting to see that hierarchy form from nothing. And I I think that might be what happened with a lot of other, a lot of other topics in a way that has to be how like life coaches and stuff happen. Right. Because isn't that such a crazy concept life coach? Like you're just, what, you're good at living? By what metric? (laughs) You're good enough to coach. Like you could be a football coach because you're good enough at this defined set of skills that happen on this defined piece of land that go for this defined amount of time and are measured this way. You can teach those skills and have them happen the way that you want them to happen. How the hell do you teach life? So it feels similar to me to like things like that. Well, then this begs the question, because you just made me think like the popularity of those types of YouTube videos or those types of blogs <laughs> yeah. is soaring in particular right now, but yeah. just also in the 21st century, also in the year 2021. Of course, that type of thing is is quite popular, especially as introspection and self-growth are more at the forefront than they were a few decades ago. So then... In order to encourage somebody and not be dismissive of them, aren't we way more likely now than we've ever been to point them to those blogs or point them to those videos or point them to Tony Robbins? You know, so so I guess like some disambiguation needs to happen. Like when is that being dismissive and saying like, oh, you're only a video away from healing? And when is that really helpful? Because mm. I think in a way to that, depends on the person's reaction to it yeah and i think it's really important to like manage your emotional response and when it's not a suggestion too that's also i think that's when it becomes a problem like when you're yeah you're sort of like dangling a video as though it's an antidote not as a suggestion not as something that you found was cool or something that worked for you and like because then it's it could still be wrong it could still even be hurtful but mm-hmm. it's it's a friendly gesture. It's at least in the category of friendly acts at that point, even if it is going to make this person 10 times as miserable as they are. If you're just doing it because based on your learned experience, this was a cool thing that helped you get out of a rut that you deem to be similar, and you're passing that along to a friend, you know, it's innocent. Like, you kind of can't penalize somebody for that the first time. But if somebody sort of rebuffs that or says like, I don't know, I'm just not really in that place. And you can't take that for some reason. I think that's when it starts to become a toxic thing because then it's no longer your lived experience that you're basing it on. You think that you found God. 
or you found the fountain of youth or some central singular thing that everybody just needs to be turned on to. And that's the cure for everybody. And that, you know, by default means you're not listening to what their individual situation is because you've renounced individuality. Yeah. And that's almost like the opposite of solidarity. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, th like thinking that you have the golden antidote Yeah, and that no one else does. And, and, and it's almost like you're trying to cultivate solidarity in... Now, that's what's so difficult about this topic is that like, again, I'm going to extend some empathy to the, the toxic posit positivitizers. The toxic positivitizers. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet... And this is, again, me rejecting cynicism. And uh, I'd be willing to bet that more often than not, their heart is in the right place. Yeah. And I think it is a solidarity problem. I think it is a, a sympathy problem. Mm. And a, I haven't felt what you're feeling, so I can't imagine your struggle. Yeah. I very much doubt that toxic positivity stems from apathy. Oh, yeah, I would agree. Most of the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that this is like something that we just need to name more often mm. and something that, you know, as, as more than just a buzzword, but really just as part of our emotional vocabulary. Yeah. And to have in our toolbox the methods of dealing with this in a healthy way, but also I think most importantly just to name it when we see it and have compassion when we do name it and when we do see it. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and, and name that and uh, hope that I'm right. Because <laughs> I don't think that any kind of positivity comes from a nefarious place. So. Yeah. important too to like not make it the only sought after thing too because it tends to be positivity in general yeah like it's just like the toxic part almost feels like it's cutting corners like it's mm. there's this like elusive mountaintop of positivity that everybody is supposed to be clamoring to get to and yeah. toxicity is just taking a chairlift up for a few minutes and then skipping a bunch of steps and saying look how easy that was guys see you just got to do this and it's like what if the issue is just that that's what we've defined the mountaintop as. And it's not something that everybody can comfortably live within. Because positivity is fucking unnatural in certain people and in certain situations. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a misanthrope or something like that. It just means that that is not how you express joy. That's not how you express yourself. Like, it's just one, one means when you think about it. And I know some very depressed, very warm people who are not out there exuding yeah. rays of positivity, but they are some of the most compassionate, caring, resilient, strong people. And they're weirdly content. They're just like, yeah, just living their lives. And I think that's just as valid as somebody who goes out and runs 50 miles and sleeps for two and a half hours and is there to pick up their fallen comrades. Like, that's totally fine too. But at the end of the day, we're all just kind of running around here trying to figure it out. I like that metaphor. That it's like a mountaintop, that it's like what everyone is ultimately striving for. But it, you're right, it's not. Mm. That everyone is striving to just be the most positive that they can be. And so we don't need anybody helping us to cheat our way there. Yeah. I think it's just the most visible form of human success. 
and it touches on the most pillars of that. But it's not the only thing. And it doesn't even guarantee that you're going to constitute it with positivity if you're living like that or with happiness or anything. You know, you could be positive mm. and miserable. You could be miserable and, and I mean, you could be um, outwardly negative and happy. Like, there's all sorts of dichotomies and gray areas that can exist. Yeah, no, that's very true. Like, there's definitely such a thing as being, like, pessimistic in a healthy way. Like, in a yeah. way that pessimism is funny a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. We're not always looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, we're not always looking for a silver lining, or we're not always looking for what's the happiest that I can be, and can I sustain that mm. for good and for always. Yeah. And I know, like, that's kind of the point that I was at when I was a more cynical person and when I like, I always refused to go on, on mood stabilizers or go on antidepressants or anything because I didn't want to lose my connection to emotion. I didn't mm. want to be neutral. I didn't want to be complacent. And it's not always the case that you will be if you medicate yourself. But I had heard those stories. I had, I had heard those testimonials from people who had gone on medication and I was just never up to it. Yeah. Because I didn't want to lose, I didn't want to lose the dark place that I really felt at home in. Mm. And I would have to imagine that it's the same for a lot of people. So what we're getting at really, and what we've, we've already really said it um, a few times, but to insist upon that connection being forsaken mm. is to deny somebody's maybe unspoken testimony that those emotional touchstones have been healthy for them and have been where they lived yeah, all their lives, especially if you're suffering from chronic depression. Mm. Um, and I, I, so I guess the point that I've been getting at is our emotions are where we need to live necessarily. Yeah. So you can't just expect somebody to leave their homes yeah. Because you want to go to the beach. <laughs> 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 um, because you want to be a, a, a happy nomadic wanderer. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't um, just expect somebody to be emotionally homeless. That's an interesting term. I like that, though. Yeah. So like, don't forsake what you know to be you, what you know to be your emotional touchstones. I don't think anybody is really trying to, but also don't expect others to forsake that so that you can be more comfortable in the interaction. Um, and it's never a bad idea to ask somebody what they could, what you could do to make them feel better, what you could do to like engage in that state of mind or state of being with them. Well, that's an important thing too, that it's like they wouldn't be necessarily thrusting a new philosophy on you in that moment they're sort of they're speaking to a specific issue that can be corrected you know it's like if you go to like visit somebody who's been depressed for a very long time or something and like you can make them a meal or you can make them like some food or something if you notice that they haven't really been eating yeah and they're still going to probably resist that at every turn but like that to me wouldn't be toxic to be kind of insistent about something like that like come on like you know you're helping a a specific and present wrong be solved as yeah. opposed to telling them like no we're gonna go out to eat we're gonna go clubbing we're gonna go find love and life again like then it's like well you're not listening to their 
to their needs really, or you're, you're not seeing what's actually at play or what, what they yeah. even might be clinging to because it's valid or what it's familiar or something like you said, like that might be their home. So I've always thought it's a little bit more healthy to kind of focus on what you can actually see and prove, you know, like just kind of help with the stuff that's really on the table and then listen beyond that, like see what else pops up, see if maybe that begets some kind of a conversation that leads you deeper or you realize, oh, maybe it's not my right to go deeper and you know to just not push it, like whatever it ends up being, but just don't overstep that boundary. Yeah, and also know that eating a casserole and going clubbing are two very different levels of energy. Yeah. <laughs> Choose the casserole every time. Yeah. <laughs> I was painting a gray sky The only color that felt right The only way to escape And the call to say they can break This blue behavior But now I'm chasing a dim Okay, so this is an article from Healthline.com titled Toxic Positivity is Real and It's a Big Problem During the Pandemic. And at the end of the article, there are five tips for uh, dealing with toxic positivity. Number one, avoid ignoring or stuffing your emotions. Acknowledge how you feel and feel all your emotions, good or bad. Sit with them. Avoiding how you feel will only prolong the discomfort. I think that's a lot of what we've been talking about. It's just that the curiosity and the introspection. Yeah. And again, having those emotional touchstones, there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah, absolutely. Especially for somebody like what makes it your home, as we were saying before, it's like, especially for somebody who is old enough to have really confronted the full spectrum of emotion and mm. knows, maybe it's hard to say knows how to confront every place yeah. within that spectrum but i think that's fair though cuz there are there are ways for sure of confronting those different feelings like even if it just comes down to knowing that you shouldn't confront a certain feeling when you have to do something later that day yeah you know like knowing kind of the logistics of like oh interesting i think this might be in this category i should you know set myself up so that i can go here or choose not to go here i think it could be as simple as that personally yeah and also to sit with it is to sometimes get to know why it's there in the first place yeah, or get to definitely. know maybe not even why it's there, but just to know that it is there for a reason. Just mm. to know that like anxiety is there to protect you ultimately. Yeah. Depression is there often as a very appropriate outlet for something. Yeah. So to sit with these feelings is to know that it's not wrong that you're feeling them. Yeah. And if you do come across a reason, great. If you don't, still great. The important thing is that you felt it. And the important thing is that you gave yourself time to process it instead of suppressing it. Yeah. Number two, listen and validate how others feel, even when it's different than how you feel. Everyone's entitled to their own feelings. Don't shame another person for their emotions. It's really important to acknowledge that others may not cope with things the same way you do. When appropriate, you can offer gentle nudges or suggestions, but otherwise choose support over unsolicited advice. Mm. I feel personally attacked. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that one's hard because it's the more you care about somebody, the more you want to like race to that point where they're feeling safe and happy again. And it's really counterintuitive to like pump the brakes on that while they suffer before your eyes. Yeah, exactly. I forget whether we covered this yet or not, but like, you know, when certain things have worked for you. Mm. Yeah, I go back to the to the video, to the uh, life coach. It's like, oh, have I got some great one-liners for you in this seven-minute life coach fit and seven-minute TED talk? Like, sure, that mm. might work, but it is unsolicited advice. And I do this all the time, Matthew. <laughs> Instead of fully engaging with empathy, I will hear somebody else's suffering and relate it to a way in which I've suffered. Mm-hmm. Well, what helped me when I was suffering in that way? Surely this will help them too. Mm. And there's a part of me that wants that guru energy. You yeah. know, there's a part of me that wants to emanate that wisdom and like to pass on some sage advice. But it's, as this is saying, like often inappropriate. Yeah. You know, and I guess this is, this is a word that we, have we used the word ego yet in this? We might today? have. Yeah, today. I don't think so. That's okay. crazy, actually. Yeah, we should. Yeah, because that's ago. a big part of this. It's like, if you are offering unsolicited advice, isn't it your ego wanting to be validated for having navigated this yourself at an earlier date? Yeah. And isn't that you like invalidating somebody else's experience for the sake of your own validation? Yeah. God damn it. I can't believe we didn't say this an hour ago, but that's so at the source of a lot of this. And there's a buzz to it too. It's like, I wonder if it's trying to get that feeling back when you realized it worked too, on some level, like just get a little, like it's diminishing returns. You know, once you succeed at something, you've just succeeded at it. It's now in the past and there's a bunch of other shit you got to do. So like, if you're able to get someone else to also succeed at that, not only does it validate your your success, but it also, you get that little kind of commission, you know, like every time, Mm. like that little emotional, like 10% when somebody else feels it. And it just, it's like a gluttony thing on a certain level. It's like, I think that it's kind of weirdly valid too, that guru thing, but it feels so goddamn good when something works for someone else that worked for you. And you're like, yeah, like you help someone, your friend is now feeling better, but you're also like, oh, I'm the fucking shit. Like, that's a good feeling. And it's like the same feeling that you would get if like you told somebody in passing about a band that you liked. Yeah. You know? Oh, great example. Okay. The album Neon Ballroom by Silverchair. Mm-hmm. I never have suffered with uh, from anorexia, but mm. that's largely what that album is about. And I know somebody who struggled with anorexia and I passed that album on to them and they still reference it to me as like something that just like gave them solidarity, gave them that, uh, you know, for lack of knowing other people who were going through the same thing, they could put that record on and say like, oh, that's what these lyrics are about. And I just need somebody who understands right now. And you can get that. God, we've talked about this so many times about how like you, you need art to understand you when no one else does. Mm. 
And um, it's exactly that. It's exactly that feeling when they still bring up to me, oh, I love that album that you that you turned me on to. Like, it helped me through so many times. Thank you. It helped me through so many times, too. Yeah. And that's not even me giving you advice. That's just like, I want to pass on this emotional experience to you. I'm not even going to be a part of your healing in that yeah. sense. I'm not going to listen to this album with you. I want you to go in a dark room alone and just put on headphones and experience it and know that you're actually not alone. But I'm not yeah. going to be there. You know, I'm not going to be the one guiding you. I'm not going to be holding your hand through this. But just the mere suggestion that maybe you have something that could not cure them, but help them. Yeah. That's a little bit of a buzz. Well, and it's also, it, it validates that finding. Like it, it validates the fact that you, it's like, Oh shit, maybe I didn't just find something that got me through that and that I like subjectively. Maybe I like found something good. That's kind of a, there's just, there's a buzz to be found in every aspect of that interaction, I think. And they're all totally fine. Cause I don't think anybody needs to feel like they have to go through the world in this completely selfless kind of saint, like completely serving others. Like th I don't think that type of existence is necessarily the only way to attain compassion or empathy or anything like that. It's a great way of exercising your own pain, but who cares if you get a little kick from making someone else feel good? Like great. And yeah. You both feel good. That's a good thing. But it's when, again, like when it's not, a suggestion when it's being shoved like a cure or when you don't care how they're actually feeling you just want to impart something i think that's when it becomes a different thing and that's probably a rare interaction between legitimate friends or like close friends too because that would almost hurt more than like just letting them suffer sure yeah but yeah no i i, I totally think that's a, a valid thing to feel kind of like a kick from to be like hell yeah this is it's good you've done a good thing it should feel good yeah it should Okay, so number three is that old adage, kind of a new adage, in fact. Remember, it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. If you're overwhelmed and exhausted, give yourself permission to rest or do something imperfectly, free of guilt. Mm. Guilt is a very important word there, mm. especially for those of us who, um, for whom there's a stigma attached to being in a state that disables you from being productive guilt i want to say is is not fundamental to that feeling guilt is a product of expectation that was put on you guilt yeah. is a product of societal expectation not being met so if there's anything that needs to be said about this it's that societal expectation must be adjusted mm -hmm. to allow for the negative end of that spectrum being felt yeah definitely I'm even tired of saying the negative end of that spectrum. I'm just, it, the topic is positivity. So I'm thinking the opposite of that, but I'm even tired of saying that. Like, I just want to say the lower or the more lethargic end of that spectrum can be felt and is natural to feel. The societal expectation is productivity and the societal expectation is participation. And that I think is what's kind of at the core of toxic positivity is like the, the nudge for you to participate when you're not able and willing to. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's something that's got to be drilled into us from an age that like, we can't even remember. We can't even defend ourselves. It's, it's like so many things we've talked about on this that you just, you don't have a chance in these respects except to try to backfill it once you're older mm -hmm. and realize that like these mechanisms exist. Because that guilt would be 
different or maybe non-existent in certain cultures, but it would be different culture to culture, it seems like, depending on what values exist. Like for us, the, the fact that you might be momentarily unable to participate in, you know, the forward progress of your community, like that's how we judge worth mm. is that forward progress. It's like, what school did you go to? What job do you have? Like how much money did you make? How many things did you do today? We deprioritize things like sleep and healthy relationships in favor of like just killing yourself to try to keep getting a little bit more mm. of anything. So yeah, it seems it's natural to me that the guilt would pop up just as a, at least a placeholder, you know, like there's, if you slam on those brakes, something has to fill that space for a second. So I feel like it might be a matter of lessening that guilt or not letting it become as pervasive, but almost accepting that as well. Mm. That like, you're yeah. so hardwired to be going forward that when you pull that emergency brake all of a sudden and you're like, oh Jesus Christ, like everything else is still moving around you for a second. So like kind of sit down and let the air freshener stop swinging and then think like, okay, what the hell now? And that might be rest or medicine or something, but. You've had a lot of interesting experiences in cars, haven't you? Yeah, dude, it's my favorite analogy. <laughs> I think about it all the time. I'm always like, you dipshit, you have to start coming up with other things to compare things to. But dude, cars are the best one, I think. They're like, like we designed so many things about them in our own image and so many microcosms of day-to-day -day life happen in them and with them. And I don't know, it's my favorite goddamn analogy. My dad always used them growing up. And I think I just was never able to, to shake that one. He compared every fucking problem I had as a kid to a, something that's going on to the car. <laughs> that man did not know how to fix a car either. It wasn't like he was a mechanic. <laughs> I don't know what the hell. He must have read a book or something, but he just, yeah. He's always like, it's like a card. I, I hated it then, but I do it now. I like the idea now of toxic creativity. <laughs> Bro, find yeah. a new metaphor. It's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number four. And I like this one a lot. This is a lot of what we've been talking about. Remember that feelings aren't mutually exclusive. Yeah. Healthy positivity acknowledges authentic emotions. It rejects the either-or mindset and holds that two opposing concepts can be true simultaneously. In other words, you can be sad about losing your job during the pandemic and be hopeful about finding a new job in the future. Yeah. And this is so true. This is what we were saying, like the, uh, the one extreme or the other. You know, when we tend to view emotion dualistically, then we don't allow for the positive learning experiences that can come from staying in that negative place. Again, I am rejecting the word negative now, but I don't necessarily have a great placeholder for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, none of them take up, for the most part, like at least just as as feelings, they, they don't occupy as much real estate as it seems like they might, you know? Because like, when things are good, we don't question all the different things that we're feeling at the same time. But when things are, when it's like troublesome emotions or something, it tends to be like you want to pin your identity to them almost. Yeah. It's, it's funny too. Like if you're like in a good mood or like on a winning streak or something like that, like yeah, you might not necessarily watch only comedies. Yeah. Like there's, there's going to be some dramas happening. You might not watch Requiem for a dream, but you could certainly be in the mood for like American beauty Yeah, or, you know, take your pick, take any existential drama. 
Yeah. My point is, you can be on that winning streak. You can be happy. You can be a chronically positive person. No one's going to assume that you are never going to be in the mood to watch something a little bit darker. Yeah. You might assume that that person isn't going to be listening to sad folk songs. But as a society, I think that it's common for people to assume that someone suffering from depression <laughs> is just listening to sad folk songs or like is just watching Darren Aronofsky films. Mm. It's just funny that like we do think of them at least like our knee jerk reaction to someone's emotion is that they are not feeling the emotion on the other end of that spectrum or that they don't want to engage with the other end of that spectrum. But really it's all around us all the time. Really it's in all of the art that we consume. Really it's in, it's, it's in our periphery, you know, at, at all times and like at our healthiest, we can engage in all of it. I know because we have feelings like melancholy where you're seeing like a distilled example of that capability. Right. Like there's a distinct sense of sadness. There's a distinct sense of happiness. There's love. There's loss. Like there's all sorts of shit boiled into what we just now term melancholy. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if that was, I don't know, a freestanding enough feeling to necessitate a name or if it was just an example of one cluster of feelings that we pinned down because they were repeatable enough or whatever, but there's no way that's the only one. I mean, it's just, at the very least, it's proof that we're capable of experiencing a great number of things at one time. Yeah. Okay, number five is be realistic. If you want to feel productive, start with small, actionable steps. During times of emotional distress, do not engage in brand new tasks that you think will make you feel better. Rather, expand on things you are already good at and familiar with. Stick with what you know until you feel better. So sort of like if you're not feeling up to something completely new, stay within your wheelhouse, Mm. you know, stay within what you know, because taking small steps from there, like it would make sense for me to get into classical guitar, Mm -hmm. like you as a mountain biker, like it would make sense for you to try out a different kind of biking or something like that, you know, like... Yeah, actually, funny that you mentioned that. If I were to pan this camera about 10 (laughs) feet to my left, you would see the example from three hours ago of that being the case. (laughs) Because I noticed the same thing. It was, it's kind of true. Yeah. You try to go too hard at something that you're not, like, that you basically don't have a chance at in that, like, very brief condensed juncture that you're in, and then you kind of screw up. But see, that that tip, though, I do have, like, I'm a little bit conflicted on it. I agree with the what I'm assuming is the implication of, like, your leaving your wheelhouse means the downswing is going to be potentially too serious for sure. you to handle in that moment, which is a, a good and healthy thing to accept that you're in a vulnerable position and, you know, don't go out unprotected, basically, mm-hmm. for the time being. I agree with that completely. The thing I don't necessarily agree with is, like, there's been so many times, at least for me, where I've felt, such joy at just throwing myself into something just for the sake of like whipping a Hail Mary out there when I feel like absolute shit. There's like a genuine excitement to that that I think can be kind of nice to also embrace, but it has to happen with like a little bit of calculation to it. Like you have to like leave some guardrails in place too. And I'm not sure if that's just a thing the way that I think, like the way that my brain works when I get into that place, or if that's a thing that could be boiled down into a more universal tip. But 
like for example, the mountain biking, the first week of this pandemic, I decided I'm going to get back into this. And within a day of that thought, or within probably minutes of that thought, I was like reading books on it. I was watching the fucking world cup of mountain biking on YouTube. Like I had it in my head by like the time I went to bed that night that I was going to be some world champion at this, but I had no money and a pretty dilapidated ass bike that I've crashed a ton of times and it's broken to shit. So I had this like really nice limiting factor on that mm. where I can get as into this as I want. I can stay up until seven in the morning just reading about like how to corner better and how to like pump over a berm and stuff like that got me so freaking excited, but I couldn't go out and do stuff that was going to completely, completely destroy me because yeah. I also had to learn how to fix a bike and how to save up money. So I found that was like a, like that's where I can see completely what they're saying. But in reality, it was like, I got a little bit of both just by the way that the cards were dealt there, mm -hmm. you know? So I'm not sure if that's something where like, Basically, you can let yourself go head over heels, but protect yourself from that danger at the same time, just while you're, while you're hurting, you know? I think what I'm learning is that, like, there are parts of that spectrum that I don't want to live in anymore. Mm. There are parts of that spectrum that I am afraid to revisit because I know how much I used to like them. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it's important to learn to like them in some ways, but not in the wrong ways. Mm. And there are wrong ways to engage with depression. And I think I, I do appreciate you telling me that you haven't seen this manifest in me in, in toxic ways, but I see yeah. the potential in what I'm reading. I see the potential in my words and actions when I'm speaking to people in more optimistic ways. I surely don't think that there's anything wrong with optimism. I surely don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, a daily struggle for me is fighting cynicism in every, any way that I can. Yeah. Because cynicism will let me stagnate and I can't have that happen because I've seen what that looks like in me. Yeah. And... For that reason, I don't like seeing it in other people, but sometimes you have to let other people have it. Yeah. If that is truly, genuinely what they're feeling. And I think what I see the most of in myself that concerns me is that, yeah, I do tend to, I do tend to vie for the joyous acceptance of suffering, mm. I guess is what I would say. The way that I process suffering particularly after the fact, after I've kind of recovered from it, mm. is like it was a race that I ran. You know, it was a hill that I climbed. Yeah. It was some kind of hardship that I endured and am hopefully better for. Yeah. And I say joyous acceptance because I truly just want to like raise my fist and cheer someone on when they're going through that same thing. And that's a hard thing to not want. Yeah. But maybe the wanting it isn't the problem. Because mm. I think it's a completely cool thing to want. You know, you want that person to feel the same joy that you did and the same triumph and to be stronger. Like all of the good things that you believe were visited upon you after that experience, you want them to feel. And I think that's, that's a really nice thing to wish. But maybe the issue is why do you need to say it or why do you want to hear it? 
said out loud, you know, like, mm-hmm. is there a part of you that wonders if you projected meaning onto that experience or something like, like, I struggle with that myself, that, that part of it. I feel very similarly sometimes. And I find that I tend to wonder each time something happens, did that actually mean anything? And why do I need it to mean something so badly? But then once you assign meaning to an experience of yours, do you then automatically assign it to somebody else's experience, similar experience? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Kind of. Yeah. Like just maybe the question is like when you're talking to somebody else about that and you say like, you know, like it's really sucks that you've been going through this, but maybe the problem is the, but like it's totally valid to feel anything or think anything beyond that. But, Mm. but maybe it's like a verbally pull it back for a second, let them fill in that spot. Then you think about what's going on about it. I'm also just thinking about like some specifics here. And like if someone were to say to me, hey, for the past few weeks, I've been terrified of death and I can't sleep and I don't know what to do with myself. There's no way that I would like try to make light of that. Yeah. Like in some cases, my instinct would be to just sit with somebody and offer them comfort and offer them validation. Yeah. However, if somebody came to me and said, I've been questioning my faith in God lately, mm. and uh, I've been a Christian all my life, and I'm deconstructing my beliefs in biblical literalism and stuff like that, then I would respond joyously, and it would be really hard for me not to. This is a yeah. horrible thing for a lot of people to go through. Like People really, really have an emotional response when they mm. start losing their faith and when they have to start deconstructing their views of of reality and everything, but like, but it would be really hard for that not to be in my response. It would be really hard for me to not go like, great, let's talk about existentialism. Let's talk about like why you should be deconstructing your faith right now. Let's talk about what all of the positive implications this may have for your life and what a vast community you are surrounded by, by, you know, of, of people going through the exact same thing. So it'd be really hard for me not to offer solidarity and, like prescriptive advice in a way yeah. that is unsolicited and potentially toxic. So there are certain things that like we are likely to share in common within the course of the human experience that I'm going to get really amped about because it is a beautiful form of suffering to me. Yeah. And there are certain things that really deserve our highest level of reverence and our highest level of apprehension. And we need to be almost trepidatious about in like avoiding the pitfalls of how those conversations can go and how our enthusiasm for suffering, if that's what you want to call it, can be perceived as toxic and as almost manipulative in a way. You know, if you want to turn somebody's experience into your own experience. Yeah. But it comes down somewhat to the immediacy of that comfort again, too, because like in those two examples that you mentioned, like if somebody is is petrified about death in that way, you can't ultimately solve that problem. You can you can be a palliative measure. You can hear them out. Like you can do a lot of things to make that moment smoother or feel better. Yeah. But ultimately, there's a part of that where they're right. I mean, they're going to die. It's a solitary process. I'm assuming. I mean, you know, it's it's just kind of, <laughs> yeah. I don't fucking know, but I mean, it's it's a kind of a hard thing to actually put a 
finger on. But if somebody is going through something like struggling with their faith and that's something that you have been through and you know like, oh shit, yeah, this is this is a process, but you can kind of figure from what they're saying that like a thing that they're terrified of is losing that community. It's like, well, you you have a community that, that you can turn them on to that they might not be aware of. So I don't think that that's a toxic thing necessarily because it's like they're almost sort of asking for a solution or for like, hey, is anything out there? And you know where it is. So it doesn't have to be in a forceful, overly prescriptive way, but... Yeah, I mean, I would, like, if I came to you with that, I would be psyched to hear that response. Like, hey, well, guess what? You're not going to lose all community everywhere. There's a community here. Right. So I guess, like, that comes back to this question of, is it, if it is in your nature to be optimistic, if it is in your nature to find joy and beauty in suffering, then are we under any contract to hide that or to tone that down for the purpose of honoring someone else's suffering. And I would argue yes, in some cases, but it's mostly reading the room, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like so many other ways that we express ourselves. It's like if you walked into a restaurant or a library and just started bellowing Mm. about anything, that would be inappropriate for that venue, no matter what you're saying. If you went into a stadium and were just kind of like, Hey man, like what's going on? Like that would also be inappropriate. (laughs) So it's, but when it's something like that, we have no problem reading the room because it's, it's so clear and we're so familiar with what the, you know, with the channel that we're, we're using in those situations. So it's, it kind of, for most people feels like some degree of a no brainer, but when it's something like this, it's so goddamn intimidating because it's like, there's so much you can't see. There's that terrifying question of whether or not you're going to step on the wrong raw nerve for this person and make their situation immensely worse. And then there's all of the personal stuff that you might carry into any number of situations like that. There's just so much that goes into it, you know? So I think that the reading the room is the only thing that can really be concluded at the end of a question like that, because it's, it's the only thing we can all agree is right. You know, beyond that, it's so situational or it's so interpersonal, but the one thing we do know is you have to like, you have to listen, you have to make sure you're having the right conversation. Right. Cause yeah, again, if they're just asking for a solution to something, but they aren't necessarily sure that they are, then you might be able to solve that problem right then and there. And they might be immensely grateful. Yeah. If, if they're, they're asking saying, because then it's not unsolicited and then it's appropriate. Yeah. And I think maybe even we put it upon ourselves to check in with people in that way. Yeah. Like if you're feeling a certain way, okay, we've entered into a conversation now that I know how you're feeling. Would you like this to be a discussion about how you're feeling or do you just need me to acknowledge that? Yeah. You know, would you care for some advice or would you care to, maybe I, maybe I can be a palliative measure for you right now. Maybe I can be part of your, maybe I can just make you laugh. You know, something as simple as that. But if we can just kind of learn to check in with each other and that way it's not always just reading the room. That way it is this like very kind of healthy form of confrontation in a sense. Yeah. Because you can then begin to manage expectations. You can then begin to learn about that person if this were to happen in the future. And like you might become somebody that they can fully trust and be vulnerable with and depend on but 
kind of what I've learned from this is that the wrong thing to do is to assume <laughs> that someone depends on you and that all they need is <laughs> the wisdom of your ego <laughs> and they'll be fine. It's like a consent thing. It's kind of like we, was yeah. it on the trigger warnings one where we talked about like, just ask sometimes, you know, just ask permission for shit. Like it's, it's so crazy. But I think about that sometimes that we've gone, it's always brought up in that conversation about the, like the snowflake culture kind of stuff where right. it's almost like there's this invisible line where at some point we stopped collectively being hard asses who just swallowed up their feeling and were living in this binary structure of like strong or weak or whatever. And all of a sudden we started like caring about our feelings and caring about people's identities and shit. And it sort of follows from that, that whether that's true or not, we are still in the process of learning something as a group and just accepting that might be enough to sort of lessen the impact of some of these things. Like some stuff will still be toxic. Some stuff won't, but just kind of asking permission if you're yeah. unsure is such a big way to avoid potential shit shows. And like, so if, you know, if you, yeah, you're talking to somebody about some issue that they're having, just saying, Hey, well, like, do you want to hear what I did? Or do you want to have a little advice asking if they're in the headspace for that? The same way you might ask someone like, Hey, are you in a place where I can like vent right now? Right. It's the same kind of thing. Like sort of just flat out seeing like, Hey, are you in a space where you want to, start piecing together some answers or do you want to just kind of be here right now and phrase it, you know, tactfully, but it's, I think that can be, that can go a long way with some people. And at the very least it can keep you from assuming something's going to work and just shoving your ego on them. And that's our show. As always, Black Market Therapy is a dead and mellow production and you can learn more about new releases as well as upcoming guests and topics on the podcast by following Black Market Therapy and Dead and Mellow Records on social media. We'll be back in two weeks with a special crossover episode in which we got to hang out with the hosts of the Boston Art Podcast. So that will be airing on both of our channels, and I highly recommend catching up with the Boston Art Podcast before you listen. And also please tune in next week for our 25th episode in which Matthew and I discuss some of the new directions that the show may or may not be going in. Until then...